Hello, this is Steve, and I'm happy to introduce our first guest, the program's first guest, my son Jack. Now, Jack's not appearing actually uh, live on the broadcast. He has submitted questions regarding the last episode on Abraham. Jack submitted questions by email, seven of them, seven questions. As you know, this podcast got its start when Jack was in the hospital, seriously ill, and had a vision. And I was instructed by Jack's vision to start this podcast. So that's what we've done. And Jack, I am delighted to tell you, has been baptized as a result of what he went through with his illness. He is well on his way to recovery. He's going back to work soon. And we, pl- we do plan to have him live as our first guest on the broadcast and hopefully before too long. But right now, Jack's uh, submitted some mighty tough questions, deep questions. So let's jump in and answer Jack's first question. Uh, this episode will be Jack's first question, which is, why did God punish women and children in Sodom? Punished for the sins of the men? That's Jack's question. So, Jack, thank you for your excellent question. I'd like to start by putting into context the question of uh, under what circumstances and why does God bring destruction upon people and upon the earth? And let's go back and start with the story of Noah and the Great Flood. And in reading Genesis chapter 6, we find in verse 5 that the Lord saw that every intent of the thoughts of his of man's heart was continually only evil only evil so god decided to destroy humanity and the earth but it says in verse 8 but noah found grace in the eyes of the lord noah was a just man and blameless among his contemporaries and then down to verse 13 so god said to noah The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. And then in chapter 7, uh, verse 22, the Lord says to Noah, The Lord said to Noah, You and your entire household go into the ark, for you alone I have seen to be righteous before me among this generation. And there we have a key word in the Bible, righteous, righteous, righteousness. Over and over again in reading the Bible, we see the Lord's emphasis upon righteousness. And here at the time of Noah, all people except Noah, every intent of their hearts was continually only evil, and Noah was the only righteous one. So doesn't this sound familiar when we compare it to the story of Abraham? Uh, and Lot in Sodom and Gomorrah. And just as the Lord informed Noah in advance of his plans to destroy and helped Noah prepare to survive the destruction along with his family, uh, so did the Lord advise Abraham of what was about to occur And in some very interesting words. Let's jump up to that chapter. We're in Genesis chapter 18. As we heard before, the Lord had sent two angels to Sarah to announce that she would become pregnant. 
Then those same two angels rose up and looked toward Sodom, and Abraham went with them to see them on their way. Now the Lord says, Should I hide from Abraham what I am doing, since Abraham will surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth will be blessed in him? So then the Lord says to Abraham, Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grave, I will go down and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has come to me. If not, I will know. So in response to that, Abraham then bargains with God uh, on the number of righteous people. So here we have again the word righteousness. Chapter 18, verse 19, the Lord says, I chose, he says, I chose Abraham. I chose him, and he will instruct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness, righteousness, and justice. And then what do Abraham and the Lord bargain about? They bargain about the number of righteous people that might be found in Sodom so as the Lord would spare Sodom. And in bargaining, Abraham gets the Lord down from 50 to 10, from 50 to 10 righteous people. But can any righteous people be found in Sodom aside from Lot and his family? No. But let's take a careful look at the passage that says so, Jack, because your question was about what about the women and children? Well, was there any guilt upon the women and the children? Were they righteous people? Uh, what was their situation? Let's take an exact look at the language here, and then I'll have another verse uh, that's uh, later in the Bible to compare with this. So please recall that now... Uh, the two angels who had been sent to Sodom wanted to sleep in the town square, but Lot convinced them it was too dangerous because of the, uh, the threats being made against the angels, so he got the angels into his house. Now the house gets surrounded, and what does it say? Uh, chapter 19, verse 4. Before they, the angels, lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both old and young, comma, all the people from every quarter surrounded the house. And then they proceeded to threaten the angels and, and threatened to do even worse to Lot and his family. So all the people of Sodom, everybody from every quarter of the city, that certainly sounds like it would include women and children. But is there anywhere else in the Bible that talks about uh, possible evil being done by women or children in Sodom. Well, yes, there is, uh, certainly regarding women. And that's found in the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel was a prophet who was prophesying to uh, the Jews in Babylon after being exiled to Babylon in 597 B.C. And before the return from the Babylonian Babylonian captivity to Jerusalem, Ezekiel was prophesying, and he has some very enlightening words to say on why Sodom was destroyed. 
Now, it's, it's commonly believed that the only reason for the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah uh, were uh, homosexual behavior and the attempted ho uh, homosexual rape of the two angels. And Ezekiel has something very enlightening. He is addressing uh, the people from J Jerusalem about their sin, about why the Babylonian captivity is being imposed upon them and the destruction, the total destruction of Jerusalem. And believe it or not, he actually has some sort of good thing to say about Sodom as compared to Jerusalem. He says the people of Jerusalem are actually even worse than the people of Sodom. Uh, that's why they were Jew, Jerusalem was destroyed and they were sent to Babylon. They were worse than the people of Sodom. So what does Ezekiel say about this? Let's read in Ezekiel uh, chapter 16, verse 46. And your younger sister who dwells south of you is Sodom and her daughters. Yet you, Jerusalem, have not walked after their ways or done according to their abominations, but as if that were a very little things, you were corrupted more than they in all your ways. As I live, says the Lord God, Sodom, your sister, has not done she nor her daughters as you and your daughters have done. This was the iniquity of your sister Sodom. We're in verse 49 now. This was the iniquity of your sister Sodom. Pride, abundance of bread, and careless ease was in her and in her daughters. And in her daughters. But she did strengthen the hand of the poor and needy. So they did something good in Sodom. They strengthened the hand of the poor and needy. But in Sodom, verse 50, they were haughty and committed abominations before me. Therefore, I took them away when I saw it. So the women of Sodom are clearly not off the hook. They, they were guilty of sin, according to the word of God in the book of Ezekiel. What about the children, especially the, the very young children? Because we are told that uh, the very young uh, boys participated in the assault and that all the people of the city came out, which could include uh, very young children. But it appears in comparing the story of Abraham to the story of Noah that the society of Sodom and the society of all the people on earth at the time of Noah, except Noah, uh, everybody's thoughts were consumed totally, all the time, continually with evil. Satan had completely overwhelmed and taken over everybody's thoughts, minds, and hearts in those societies. And the Lord decided to do something about it. Now, was Satan really in charge of everybody in Sodom? Well, there's an interesting story to look at in that regard between the king of Sodom, uh, an incident that happened with the king of Sodom and Abraham. This was obviously before Sodom was destroyed. And this story, to me, foreshadows Satan's temptation of Jesus. Uh, 
because to me, we have here the satanic king of Sodom tempting Abraham. As you recall from the episode on Abraham, the king of Sodom had captured a lot, Abram's, Abram's nephew, in a war and a bunch of possessions. And Abram, later Abraham, gave chase. He attacked them at night, the king of Sodom. He got back Lot and all of his relatives and all of the possessions, and he made it back safely. And then Abram was blessed by Melchizedek. He blessed him. Melchizedek blessed Abram. But guess who else was present at that meeting? The evil king of Sodom. Genesis chapter 14, verse 17 says that the king of Sodom went out to meet him, Abram. The king of Sodom went out to meet Abram in the valley of Shaveh, that is the king's valley. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of God most high, and he blessed Abram, gave him a blessing. Then Abram gave Melchizedek a tenth of everything, a tenth of the spoils. Now, verse 21, the king of Sodom said to Abram, give me the people and take the goods for yourself. Give me the people and take the goods for yourself. Is that not reminiscent of the temptation of Christ by Satan? Satan tempted Christ that if Jesus would fall down and worship Satan, Satan would give him the world. The king of Sodom says to Abram, Give me the people and take the goods for yourself. But Abram says to the king of Sodom, I have lifted up my hand to the Lord, God most high, the possessor of heaven and earth, that I will take nothing that is yours, not a thread or a sandal strap, lest you say, I have made Abram rich. So he turns him down. Abram turns down the king of Sodom flat for that temptation. And what happens next? What happens next after Abram successfully resists this temptation. Uh, chapter 15, immediately after. Chapter 15, verse 1. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not fear, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. So Abram did not have to fear revenge of the satanic king of Sodom. Because the Lord was his shield. The Lord is his exceedingly great reward, not the possessions of Sodom, the, the temptation offered by the satanic king of Sodom. No, the Lord is Abram's exceedingly great reward, and that is when the Lord established the covenant with Abram. And here we have the word righteousness again, because that's when the Lord literally took Abram outside and showed him the heavens. Uh, uh, chapter 15, verse 5, he, the Lord, he brought him, Abram, the Lord brought Abram outside and said, look up toward heaven and count the stars if you are able to count them. And he said to him, so will your descendants be. So will your descendants be. And Abram believed the Lord and he credited it, and he, capital H, the Lord credited it to Abram as 
righteousness. Once again, that word righteousness. Well, Jack, I'm imagining that you're here with me, although you're not. Uh, you're on the other side of the world asleep, but I'm just uh, hearing you say, yes, Dad, but what about the little babies? What about the children? And to that, I can only respond, we, we do not understand the ways of the Lord. We just do not understand. Jesus, when he was on this earth with us, the Lord on this earth with us, mentioned something along these lines. And the flood, the great flood of Noah was along the lines of a natural disaster, as were the fire and brimstone that rained upon Sodom and Gomorrah. We're certainly familiar with natural disasters. There have been uh, horrible floods in China just recently that have killed many, many people. So we all know that sudden, unexpected death is always a possibility. In Luke chapter 12, starting at verse 35, Jesus, our Lord, warned us to always be ready for his return, which could happen at any moment. He says in that chapter, let your waist be girded and your lights be burning, and you be like men waiting for their master to return from the wedding banquet so that they may open the door immediately for him when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master will find watching when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will dress himself and have them sit down to dine, and he will come and serve them. So we have to be ready at every single moment. And Jesus pointed to the example of the collapse of the tower in Siloam that fell and killed 18 people. And he said, this is in Luke uh, chapter 13, in verse 4, Jesus said, Or those 18 upon whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all men living in Jerusalem? I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. So to me, Jack, it really all boils down to the fear of the Lord. Because the Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's the beginning of wisdom, not the end of wisdom. If we repent and confess our sins and believe in Jesus and trust in him and invite him into our heart and we're saved, we are promised eternal life. We are promised that we will never die. We will promise that we will live forever. We we will be in the loving arms of a loving, merciful God who loves us. But if we haven't repented, if we haven't confessed our sins, if we have not invited Jesus into our heart, if we are not saved, we are separated from God, well then, we are just unwittingly walking around setting spiritual fires that will consume us. And this is not my thought, this is from the Bible. Let's consider the book of Isaiah, chapter 50, starting at verse 10. 
Who among you fears the Lord? Who obeys the voice of his servant? Who walks in darkness and has no light? Let him trust in the name of the Lord and rely upon his God. But now, all you who kindle a fire, who encompass yourselves with sparks, walk in the light of your fire and among the sparks that you have ignited. This you shall have from my hand. You shall lie down in sorrow. Well, it's a mystery, but God gives us freedom of will. We have the right to choose. He doesn't control all evil. He doesn't prevent all evil. Evil people cause evil to other human beings. And evil people cause spiritual sparks to arise that will start fires that will hurt them and others, and often tragically hurt innocent little children. But having faith in Jesus Christ, we know that physical death of the body is not the end. Everyone will die physically. Everyone will be raised and stand before Jesus, including the innocent little children that may have perished in Sodom at the time of its destruction. God only knows, but there may yet be hope for eternal life for them, for any innocent little souls who perished in Sodom and Gomorrah. God is the almighty judge upon whom we trust and rely. He is our rock. And for our closing prayer today, dear Heavenly Father, whom to fear? We look to you, Lord, the words of your Son, your only beloved Son, Jesus Christ, who said in the book of Luke, chapter 12, starting at verse 4, in the words of Jesus Christ, our Lord, I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, and after that can do no more. But I will warn you whom you shall fear. Fear him who, after he is killed, has power to cast into hell. Yes, I say to you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Therefore, do not fear. You are more valuable than many sparrows. Dear Heavenly Father, teach us through the examples set forth in your holy book, the Bible, including the story of the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, to let us learn and profit from the lessons and the examples that you have set forth for us to study. Lead us ever closer to you, dear Heavenly Father that we may be with you through your Son, Jesus Christ, eternally resting in your loving arms. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.